0: our podcast where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills we hope you enjoy the show and now for your host paul Marquis.
1: hello everyone and welcome to episode 162 of the ortho eval pal podcast i'm your host paul Marquis. and today we are going to be talking about radial nerve palsy we'll be talking about the common causes We'll be going through the differential diagnosis and how to tease out lookalikes. We'll be talking about a typical presentation of radial nerve palsy, and I happen to have a patient that I'm working with right now that we can discuss. And uh, we're also going to be talking about the treatment and so much more. Uh, so if you want to hold for just a moment, we're just going to take a bit, and uh, we'll be back after we hear a word from our sponsors.
0: Do you experience leg and foot fatigue when standing for long periods of time? A main doctor and the company he founded, Mainly Technology Group, have created a high-tech, all-terrain, chemical-free sock designed to reduce fatigue. The Easy Glider Sock has a graduated compression weave to keep blood flowing and to keep you energized. Created by Dr. Lee Thibodeau, the Easy Glider is also frictionless, lightweight, warm, extremely durable, and wicks away moisture. The socks will stay fresh for days, thanks to the organic antimicrobial agent, Kytosan. Easy Glider is the only sock you'll ever need for sports, work, and leisure. To find out more, visit easyglidersocks.com. That's easyglidersocks.com. Did you know that over 90% of foot and ankle problems are caused by a tight calf muscle? Introducing the Easy Slant, a durable, adjustable, and portable calf stretching device. The Easy Slant was designed to increase stretching compliance and get you back on your feet and feeling better faster. So if you work with patients seeking to ease or avoid foot pain or clients who want to improve their athletic performance, look no further. Visit EasySlant.com to learn more or order yours today. Enter coupon code OEP for a 10% discount on your first EasySlant.
1: Welcome back. So this is crazy. It seems like whenever I'm searching for a podcast or a podcast content, I really don't have to search very long just because something always comes up and then I get all excited about the topic and then wanting to share it with all of you. Um, so first things first, I just want to thank you all for listening. Uh, just a huge thanks to all of you who have given ratings and reviews and who have left you know wonderful comments either on my email or on YouTube. Uh, thank you so much for doing that. It really continues to encourage me to continue doing what I'm doing, which I thoroughly love to do. So back to our topic, okay? So listen to this. I call a friend of mine who had a total hip replacement and I I call him the next day. He's uh, on his way home and I said, So how are you doing? And he says, I'm doing great. He says my hip is doing great. He says but and then I got the old butt and he says my right hand isn't working. So I grab my reflex hammer, my germ my mask, and I head over to meet him at his house. And I get there just as he's arriving also from the hospital. And, uh, and I watch him walk up into uh, his house. He gets up over the first step really well. And, um, you know, the leg is is really moving nicely. But... Right away, I can tell that he just has no stability in his hand and his wrist. So I sit him down and we, you know, go over a few things and I start with, you know, a few questions. And the way I started was, number one, um, do you have any tingling in your arm? And he said yes right away and he pointed out over the dorsal aspect of the radial side of his forearm and also over the back side of his thumb, index finger and middle finger. Um, then I asked him if he had any weakness and he demonstrates to me his inability to extend his wrist and his fingers. And he has complete, complete wrist drop. I lift his hand up. It drops right back down. He has no way of controlling it. I then proceed to ask him about his neck because I knew he had a very stiff neck prior to surgery. And I was wondering maybe if he was laying on the table a little bit funny and extended the neck and maybe he was having some nerve root compression or something like that. Um, So he had really no neck pain radiating from the cervical spine down into the uh, arm or wrist. I asked him if they had checked him for a stroke after the surgery that he had. And he said yes. Immediately after, once they noticed he had the wrist drop, they uh, noticed no facial weakness. They ran some tests and they, they found no issues in regards to a CVA or anything like that. And then I asked him the obvious question which I knew the answer to was was there any specific mechanism of injury where you struck in the arm or anything like that prior to surgery and the answer was no um so automatically I'm starting to think, well, you know, was there some sort of compression on his arm like a blood pressure cuff or maybe his arm was uh, laid out into elbow extension and uh, maybe his wrist was uh, in flexion at the time for a long period of time and he just sustained a stretch to the uh, radial nerve region. So upon doing a more objective type of evaluation, I noticed, first of all, he had no facial weakness. He had full active shoulder range of motion. Although he complained of his whole arm being weak, it was a perception thing. Um, he, When he would lift his arm up overhead, his wrist would drop into flexion and he had no control of that. And he felt like he had to move his arm in different positions to get his hand into a better position. So he really didn't have any shoulder weakness. He had full shoulder range of motion, full active right lower extremity range of motion and strength. So no issues on that right side whatsoever, which was the affected side. I checked his reflexes and and he was equal in C5, C6, and C7. And sometimes you can have a slight decrease in in reflex at C5, C6 when you have a uh, radial nerve palsy just because the muscle is not firing very well to give you that reflex. But he, he was equal on both sides. I then proceeded to work um, toward his neck to see if he had anything there that could have been causing him some radiculopathy and weakness into the wrist. So wrist extensions typically C6. I uh, I did a, a Spurling's test. He had no reproduction of paresthesias or anything like that, no discomfort going down the arm or down the scapula or anything. I also did a cervical spine compression test that didn't reproduce anything. And then I thought what would be more fruitful is to do some traction to his cervical spine and see if he could extend his wrist better. So this is part of the marquee maneuver when we uh, test patients to try to identify what level of nerve root they're getting from the cervical spine. When we traction the neck, usually that level gets stronger. And so we show, he showed no improvement in wrist extension whatsoever there. He also had a negative Hoffman sign for any uh, upper motor neuron issues. I then went into some manual muscle testing. His finger intrinsics were really, really weak, uh, probably no more than 1 plus over 5. He had 0 over 5 for wrist extension, 0 over 5 for finger extension. His biceps were 4 plus over 5. His supination was 2 over 5 with the elbow at 90 degrees, so significantly weak. He just could barely hold that arm in that position. And his triceps were 4 plus over 5. His grip was pretty good, um, especially when his wrist was in neutral. So I would hold his wrist in neutral position and then test his grip. And it was really good when we did that. And again, remember when we talked about active and passive insufficiency, it's important to understand that uh, when the wrist is not in that tenodesis position, uh, the flexor tendons aren't going to work as well. So getting him into an appropriate brace uh, is important. So how do we treat this? you know, the first thing you need to remember, number one, time, time is going to treat this. 90% of people who have a radial nerve palsy will get better. Um, That radial nerve is, is commonly damaged, usually from some sort of trauma to the brachium, um, you know, gunshot wounds, or uh, I've seen this a couple of times where people are arm wrestling and the, and the, proximal or the mid humerus fractures and tears the radial nerve and they end up with a complete laceration and complete wrist drop Um, you know so other than that if there's not a lot of trauma and it's more compression or stretch related they typically will get better over time now that could be up to a year Um, but if you start to see some improvement in you know a week to two weeks that's very promising that they'll probably you know resolve this issue in about three months or so Now, the next thing that, um, you know, some people think about is, should we get an EMG on this? And it it really seems like every time I talk to somebody about an EMG, they always ask about the time frame. Because if the injury happens within three to four weeks of having the EMG, those um, results can be skewed. And so, you know, when when we look at the EMG, we just look to see if there is some sort of a Nerve conduction happening there is there is there good input to the muscle and um, you know if if there is some, then that's promising. If there is nothing, then we may have a problem on our hands. Um, then the next thing I look at is bringing some external stability to the wrist so that the fingers can be a little more functional and so that um, there isn't too much stress and strain on the wrist. The other problem is that, you know, if you try to push yourself up out of a chair, up off a bed, and you're using your knuckles, the uh, wrist will collapse into flexion and can be quite painful. And the other thing we don't want is we don't want all the wrist flexors to become shortened and stiff and tight. So um, this gentleman came home with a wrist cock-up splint that was quite soft and not supportive, uh, not very supportive. His wrist was still able to drop a little bit into about 10 to 15 degrees of wrist flexor. So we put him in a Benic brace, which has a nice thermal molded um, form over the back of the wrist. We heated that up, got him into about 10 to 15 degrees of extension that really locked him in place. Then we were able to hold the fingers at the um, MCP joints so that he could still use his finger flexors more effectively, and then not allow that wrist to just drop and be sloppy. Um, We can also do some uh, neuromuscular electrical stimulation, Russian stimulation, uh, and if that does not respond, then you need to go to DC current, kind of like what we would do for a peroneal nerve palsy. And uh, try to work on muscle re-education. So what I really encourage with patients is if they are on some sort of neuromuscular electrical stimulation, that as it turns on, they try to contract with it so they can relearn how to uh, tighten that muscle up. Uh, and then I might even set them up with a home unit so that they can they can do this a couple of times a day. I then like to work into some proprioceptive activity to work on wrist flexion extension, ulnar radial deviation, try to get that supination back because that is affected um, when the radial nerve is damaged. And then I'll get into a full upper body and upper extremity strengthening program to work on some conditioning, like upper body ergometry, and even multi-directional shoulder exercises, so that the wrist and hand can work isometrically a little bit while holding onto, you know, either a Theraband or a weight, and then uh, slowly, you know, working into some weight-bearing activities, and then ultimately uh, functional uh, strength training activities. If the patient doesn't get better, though, I think it's time that, you know, they see an upper extremity specialist. Sometimes if there is, you know, scar tissue around the nerve or maybe there's a tumor, let's say this came on slowly and progressively, there could be a tumor pushing on that nerve and that will need to surgically be removed. And so there are um, there are different surgical Techniques to help deal with radial nerve palsy, and uh, if they are not showing any improvement, uh, no increased contraction in in a month, then I would really be looking at um, getting some some other eyes uh, on this patient just to make sure that there isn't something more serious going on. Um, so. That is our talk today on radial nerve palsy. I'm so glad you were all able to listen today. I hope you found some some benefit of uh, listening to this content today. And um, just hope you enjoyed the show. I'm going to do my very best, folks, to keep this going. And uh, I'm really enjoying doing this. We are now doing some downloadable courses on our website so stay tuned we just finished doing some of them live but uh, we will we've had so many requests to uh, be able to download these because a lot of folks are stuck home with COVID Uh, they don't have a lot of time to spend a full day at a live course they want to break it up maybe do an hour every night for you know six nights or something like that Um, you can do it on a downloadable course so that is uh, coming your way very very soon hopefully within the next uh, couple of days and um, again folks, thank you so much for listening. Send me your questions and I'd be more than happy to uh, get back to you and or put the questions on the show. So again, uh, thank you so much and take care.
0: We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.